Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome back to the No Ratings Podcast. It's a Saturday upload because the lunchtime kickoff was Manchester City against Liverpool. And it's necessary that you get to hear what we have to think. And mainly not me, but Raj and Pythagoras, otherwise known as Rice, our boy. Um... And we've got to talk about this game. To, to so, this, we just had an off-air chat, and in my mind, I was thinking, we should have said all of this on the podcast. But you're going to get some of the, the fresh new nuggets as well. Uh, before we continue, very quickly, if you listen on Spotify or Apple or Amazon, wherever you listen, make sure you follow the pod and follow the guys. As always, Raj, I'll come to you immediately in this pink Calvin Klein t-shirt, of which you've just said you've got a, a white one, a black one, a blue one, a grey one. Weird, spooky. I don't know, but talk to me about the game. Yeah, so I think we should address the two tactical setups first. I think uh, Man City, they went with their classical shape, really, that they've been using this season, where a Kanji comes from centre-back, moves next to Rodri, form a kind of double pivot, and then a back three of Walker, uh, Diaz, and Ake behind that. So give them that 3-2 build-up structure. Uh, and then ahead of that, led Bernardo Silva down the left, linking well with Doku. Uh, Alvarez in the right-sided half space um, with uh, or in behind the striker as well with Foden then coming inside with over, walk overlapping sometimes and then Haaland up front. So yeah, that's the structure they use against Chelsea as well. Uh, Liverpool, how are they, how do they counter up that? They actually use a very aggressive four-three-three press, and I think it did leave them exposed at times. I think they did push on to that Akanji Rodri double pivot with their two eights a lot of the time. And then those two guys in the pockets behind Alvarez, Foda, Bernardo, three of them really had, did get some spaces to enjoy as a result of that. Um, so yeah, Klopp did go toe to toe. There was no compromise in his real uh, defensive structure and it, it led to, yeah, an aggressive game, uh, a game where there were spaces to be had, but I don't think the individuals on either side were at their best, and that's why it only ended up one all in the end. I did a show with ESPN earlier this week, and we, we were predicting the score lines of the game, and everyone said 3 2, 3 2, 3 2. Um, and I said the same, completely forgetting it was an international break. Mm. And I think this game, especially in the second half, proper felt like a, like it felt like everyone was hungover. Um, and 
they were sloppy, it was scrappy. There were still nuggets of things that I think from a tactical standpoint that we need to talk about. Um, but as always, Pythagoras, I want to hear your immediate takeaway from what you thought of the game. My immediate takeaway was that I think City should have edged it. Um, but I think the reason why they didn't edge it is for me the key aspect of the game is the absence of De Bruyne. I think Alexis McAllister has been criticised um, since the start of the season in terms of whether or not he can play in this holding midfield role. In my opinion, he can't, but today I thought he was pretty solid. Um, and the reason why was I don't think City were able to exploit his lack of athleticism. And because Alvarez has slightly gone off form, he's not the right type of player when he's off form to exploit a McAllister. So normally you'd expect Alvarez, quite athletic, should be getting into pockets of space, get shots off, and McAllister shouldn't be able to get across to him. But Alvarez was just so, so poor in terms of his decision-making, his touch, even when he did have those sort of half chances on goal when you'd expect a finish of his quality to put them away, he just didn't do it. So that key moment of the game where that player needs to kill that game off for City, he wasn't there for City and it was a big, big issue for them. Haaland delivered, I thought he was excellent. And we had a little chat before the game about Van Dijk and like how measured he is. But for me, I, I thought he was at fault for the first goal with Haaland. Now, the reason why is... Van Dijk is the leader of that defence. And if he'd looked across, which he did from his angle, he would have seen that Matip was looking away from Haaland and that he wouldn't have been able to spot Haaland's sort of run into that pocket of space. But Van Dijk, if he was a bit more switched on, he could have come across and because there's no other player behind Van Dijk. So that was the main threat, but he was too slow to react. And also for Haaland, there's been an energy shift in the past few weeks. He started the season quite slow, but was still scoring goals. But his touch and his general game seemed a bit off. But today, he seemed a lot more sharper. He was even coming back to defend, if you remember. It was him versus Matip, I think, in the left-back position. Mm. But generally, he's pressing. He was just nicking in, winning the ball. And I thought he's just his general play was just very, very sharp. So I think, yeah, Haaland sharp, but Alvarez, for me, really disappointing today. I think, Raj, you wanted to talk about uh, potential absence of De Bruyne um, and a Liverpool player as well, but I just very quickly want to touch on what you were just saying then. Um, when I think normally when you've watched these Liverpool City games over the years, especially when the two teams are at their peak, what you'd often find is like um, full-backs were playing their 10 out of 10 games, centre-backs were playing their 10 out of 10 games. I think a lot of today was like, um, like the City goal comes from Aki's little bit of good quality, but also again, like Trent and Sebastian just not really doing uh, the simple things well. And then in reference to that goal, I kind of agree, but also disagree. I think Matip just switches off and knows Haaland's like in his in periphery. his um, in, in, in just yeah in his periphery. But I think he gets sucked into the play, and because he gets sucked in at that point, Van Dijk's got a very quick decision to make to go. Do I go with Haaland? And Liverpool centre-backs typically defend in straight lines. Mm -hmm. And so they don't often sweep very... Not not in those sort of situations. And I think it was Alvarez just about to pop into where Van Dijk was. It was a tricky situation. But I think that moment there is like one, two, three, four poor moments. And Haaland's first touch, brilliant. And then Liverpool's goal comes from Trent's finish, brilliant. But also Trent doesn't get tracked. Then he literally just walks into a, a pool of space. I think that probably echoed like to what Raj was saying, also yourself as well, that the quality of the game just wasn't quite there. Um, and Raj, obviously, you're going to talk about De Bruyne. Yeah, talk about him in a set. I thought, that firstly, the selection of... Um, you mentioned Matic there. I thought the selection of not starting Canate was a bit strange for me. 
Uh, I think he's obviously mm. got that added athleticism. I do think he's a better pure defender as well in 2023 than Matip. Um, so with that Doku threat um, to help with Trent and also with Haaland on that, uh, able to able to come to that side as well. I thought Kanate was the better selection, but obviously Matip was there in the end. Um, that does come to a point of mine. I think Kanate's development is actually being harmed at the moment. I think these constant injuries aren't helping him. He's serving such a stop-start career. And I do think, I've said this on the podcast before, I think he's a pretty similar player to what he was in 2021. I haven't seen an evolution in him. Uh, for example, his ball playing. It's very similar standard to what it was back then. So that's a slight concern I have from a Liverpool perspective. And I just want to touch upon um, Konate um, and the decision to play Matip over him. I think with Konate, he reminds me a bit of a uh, young Colo Torre for Arsenal. And these type of defenders, they're very reliant on their physical attributes. And when they're young, that's when they're at their best. But as soon as they start picking up injuries and they start losing that bit of athleticism, their timing of everything goes off a bit. And I wonder if Klopp's lost faith in him or trust in him a little bit. Because I have seen Matty play a lot more this year, whereas before, Konate was seen as like a dead cert next to Van Dyke. And I think if you look at the progress of a Saliba versus a Konate, it's almost like Saliba's just kind of superseded him now as a, as a player. And, and OK, Saliba is also an athletic centre-back, but I think Saliba falls into that mould of like your Thiago Silva Rio Ferdinand types, where they know they've got the athleticism, but it's kind of like in their back pocket. They don't want to have to use it. Whereas Konate's whole defensive style seems to be based on his athleticism. And I think those type of defenders, they age quicker, whereas the other ones, they're able to age pretty well, even if they lose that yard of pace to a degree. I think also, and we're going to talk about Liverpool's build-up play, uh, and we will obviously talk about Man City as well, um, but because Liverpool are so heavily reliant on their centre-backs, um, providing a build-up play. I also think that is probably why Matip gets more game time at the moment than Kanate. Kanate generally in possession, and I had some stats before and I've I seemed to have lost them, but uh, Matip versus Kanate in terms of in possession, Matip is streets ahead. Um, and so that, I think, is a bit of a concern as well. I don't think Matip was particularly good in this game. I think Liverpool... Uh, Raj, you gave me a stat just before we started recording about Liverpool's build-up play, was yeah. it? 10 possession turnovers? Yeah, for 10 possession turnovers for Man City from high-pressing Liverpool's build-up and only two for Liverpool from high-pressing Man City's build-up. Just in defence of Matip, there, there was that run from Matip where he went past like literally half oh, of the yeah. City team. and I, I, I don't think he was to blame for a lot of the build-up errors because I thought, mm-hmm. I, and I agree with you, Nubaid, I think Matip is quite underrated in, in possession and he definitely improves Liverpool's build-up play. He's quite a composed player and he's very twisty twisty on the ball and it's quite hard to pin him down when you when you press him I think Allison was the bigger issue like and I'm, I'm sure we'll probably <laughs> yeah. touch upon him he looked absolutely shattered and I don't know what mm. to me it looked like he was carrying an injury going into the game because mm. he was barely able to lift any any passes when he was like he could, he could mm. see the pass he could see the fullbacks mm. there and I just need to loft it over him and I'm not someone who will argue that Allison is on the same level of Edison in terms of distribution but he's not that bad. He's never been that bad, like in a big game. Like today, he was absolutely atrocious, um, and I wasn't surprised when his hamstring went in the end because he was on a on a tightrope pretty much all game. That's a great point, actually, about the passes that Allison struggled with. It was those lifting passes. So yeah, that that does lead me to think he was carrying something because he wasn't able to generate that force to lift it. There was one in the first half where he tried to lift it and he went straight into Foden. So yeah, yeah it possibly mm. could be you could be spot because on because when your hamstring is tight. 
and uh, I've played football before and I know my hamstrings are about to go. I want to keep all the passes on the floor and literally I want people mm-hmm. really close to me so I can just literally lay after them. I do not want to be hitting those 40-yard passes because like your leg just taking that back lift, it pulls on the hamstring a bit towards your gluteus yeah. area. And I'm sure Raj knows more than me in the medical sense, but like it, it's just, it, it, it does pull on that muscle. So especially in a game like that, of that magnitude, cold, cold weather as well, you've got big Harlan just literally pressing you every time you're about to hit that mm-hmm. kick. I can imagine he was feeling the pressure on him physically. Yeah, spot, spot on. And I think also Liverpool's build-up structure makes use of Alisson as that third centre-back because they don't play with three centre-backs in build-up. They play with Van Dijk and Matip and the two full-backs high and wide. Simicas on the left, Trent on the right. Trent sometimes inverting uh, next to McAllister, but not part of the back line. So I think they were very struggling, really, to build up from the back, I think, Liverpool. And I think Klopp needs to take a look at that. I think the balance is quite, isn't quite right. I don't think Simicas or Robertson suit that left-back role uh, in terms of building from deep. And McAllister, as you said, is not a natural six. And he... The Liverpool's progression numbers through the middle are very, very poor this season. And there is a reason for that. And I think McAllister uh, for, is not able to uh, find those passes as comfortably as a six would. And Trent also gets his kind of risk assessment wrong when he's playing those passes. Sometimes he goes too direct and he doesn't spot that short pass in between the lines to the two higher eights. So there's something to work on there for Liverpool for sure. Um, just on that point, um, if you're sat at home, if you check out Mark's stats, he posted this thing about progression efficiency. Mm. Um, it's a very interesting gaff, uh, graph, sorry, pretty difficult for me to explain uh, on audio. But essentially, Liverpool's central areas, there is no ball progression whatsoever. Um, and essentially on, on the chart, it says above or below league average in the Premier League and Liverpool's central area is black. And it should be either pink or blue, and it's black, which means there's no central progression. Um, and I think, as you both have just mentioned, there that's a big issue. Uh, and I tweeted this as well about McAllister, and just said he's been wasted as a six because actually, I think a big portion of his game is his ability to pass. But when you play as a six and you can't access the angles that you need to when you're playing as a left side of eight or a right side of eight, um, he just at the moment feels like they're giving him the ball and he's like, I actually don't know what to do with it when I get it. Sure. And and people will point to McAllister having 91% pass accuracy. Some people did point to that, but that's not the point. You may not lose the ball, but you're just passing a bomb on to another teammate who will then lose the ball. It's about where you're playing your pass uh, and yeah. progressing. Because if the six isn't progressing, then someone else has to progress instead. And that's not what, ideally what you want. It's funny you've mentioned that stat because like I'm, I'm literally at the moment putting together a, a video on United. And that structure that we've just literally Rogers described is very, very similar to United structure. And you do not want a structure that's quite similar to United <laughs> and sharing the same weaknesses. Um, like it's like literally United play with that back two and they play like a free across. But the free across is literally your right back hugging the touchline, your left back hugging the touchline. And you've just got your deep lying midfielder. And it's such an isolate because a team that's possession based like your Barca's or your City's, they don't want that CDM to be isolated. But even if he was, they've got very press-resistant, knowledgeable number sixes in that sort of pivot role, like a Bushkets or a Rodri. And then you've got like your Pedris, etc., sort of coming in, giving support to that player if he ever does get overwhelmed with the press. Mm. But there's so much isolation here and the distances are so wide and big that it's very easy to pin that number six down. And if that number six is not really accustomed to that position, they're going to panic. They're going to basically hide away from the game a little bit and then those passes will not be there. I think in this sort of game is where um, 
you sort of can see what the problem is. Mm. Um, because obviously people are going, Liverpool are second in the league, they're chasing down City. And I said after the game, this is a brilliant point away from home against City when you don't play well and you still haven't figured out how to actually build up from the back, which is such a big portion of how you want to win football matches. Rambo, um, then people will ask, how did Liverpool generate their transitions? Spring is my favourite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And I think there was also an answer to that without the build-up play because the way they generated it was a lot through ball carrying. So the likes of Saboshlai, the likes of um, Gravenberch when he came on, and even Gagpo when he came on, they were carrying the ball past the City men very, very well. And that's one area where Liverpool excelled in. For the for the equaliser, which we'll come on to, Gravenberg took the ball, uh, isolated his man, and then galloped past him through the middle of the pitch. I think it was Rodri got taken completely out of the game. Um, so the ball-carrying aspect was definitely there for Liverpool. And you even saw it for Man City, for their goal, Nathan Ake took Sebastian and Trent out of the game. Uh, and so I think ball-carrying is becoming very very important in, in the modern game because teams defensively are very well set up and organised. So you need that carrier to kind of create the plus one and take men out of the game. I think it's partially because, and you two, can, you two know more about me, more about this than me, it's partially because teams are pressing so much that a lot of games that you watch now, it, it is almost like man for man in every area. And so Ten Hag actually does that really well or did do that really well last season where uh, United might play City or Liverpool and he'd actually go 11 versus 11. Um, and then it'd be a case of can the right back take on the left winger, can the centre mid take on the other centre mid and win duels in that way. And I, I think Liverpool at this moment in time um, have quite, haven't quite figured out what their battles are that they can win, but then they have Sabochlai and Gravenberg and Gakpo and Darwin was pretty poor today, I thought, and Jota and Salah, lots of match winners. Um, something we haven't spoken about and I do want to talk about um, and I'll come to you first on this, Raj, because we spoke about this just before. Um, individual battles in these games often define the games, and the individual battle that everyone was talking about was Trent against Doku. Yeah, I thought what you saw today was a bit of a to-and-fro battle. I don't think one player completely dominated the game, but what I think you saw from Doku is he's a master of kind of rhythm dribbling. So he's excellent at slowing his man down, and suddenly he'll find a burst past his man. And I think Trent got lured into that. He got decelerated and then he got a dribble pass several times. Uh, and it's very tricky to deal with. I don't think you can just be completely harsh on Trent. Um, I thought he did come back well in the second half. I think he did limit Doku to what angles he could cross the ball from. Um, and I think uh, Doku could have done a bit better with his final balls. Um, I do think though Trent, he can improve from a time in a kind of application point of view. I think sometimes he's just a bit too passive in the duel. I remember Trent when he first burst onto the scene, he managed to be quite aggressive against the likes of Leroy Sane, even Cristiano Ronaldo in a Champions League final. 
but he's missing that kind of aggression. I don't know whether it's because he's a bit nervous or I don't know whether it's because he's just lacking a bit of motivation in defending, but I feel like he needs, can be a bit more aggressive with his play because he's not slow. He's not rapid either. He's kind of in the middle with his pace. So I feel like he could be more aggressive with how he defends. So in my opinion, that first 15 minutes of the game was Trent being quite aggressive, being quite motivated, almost as if he had a point to prove with his defending. And I thought he bodied Doku for that first 15 minutes. Then I'd say Doku had the upper hand, like like Raj was saying, he was slowing them up and shifting past him with bursts. I still don't think it, Trent was anywhere near as bad as he usually is. And I thought that Liverpool were doubling up on Doku quite well, uh, with Salah coming back with Trent. And they were kind of keeping him at bay, but he was still making an impact. And I think, as I've mentioned, I think City were quite wasteful with the openings that Doku was creating. But to be fair, Matip did really well in cutting off a lot of those crosses that was coming in uh, towards it, across the six-yard area. Um, so at that stage, I was thinking Doku's probably got the edge here. But then Trent comes in with that goal. And I think for me, just about edges the battle overall. You've got to realise with Trent, because he is an attacking fullback, you can't just see it as a duel in terms of, oh, did Trent win the defensive duel against Doku? Because like, it's very hard for a Trent to win a battle against a winger if we're just basing it purely on his defensive impact. If we are, I think Doku had way too many openings for me to say Trent won that battle. But if you look at Trent in the holistic sense, like how did you influence the game either defensively and attacking-wise? I think Trent, with that goal, he's overall impacted the game, I think, more than a Doku did. So for me, Trent wins that battle just about. Now, I think Reese James played against Doku quite recently and he pocketed him. Like It was just an easy, easy win for Reese James. And this is a guy that's just come back from injury. And I just think you've mentioned the pace of Trent. I think he's got slightly lower than average pace for a fullback. But then if you ally that with his lack of mental intensity for his defending, that creates a huge, huge issue. I think if Trent was mentally very intense with his dribbling, even withstanding the lack of pace, he'd still make it work because he's quite physically strong. So I think he'd know how to put his body across and stuff. You have seen from Trent that like, he can put his body across and actually defend well when he wants to. But I think so many people have commented on it. I think mentally he's ready to make that transition into becoming some, some form of midfielder, whatever it is. But I think today was better than usual, but I still don't think in the long term, can I see him staying in that role for the next six years, etc. I just can't. And I think the way he scored the goal was exactly the position that I've kind of been crying out for him to play in his long-term career, which is sort of like a right-sided cam, a bit like a De Bruyne under City, but not quite as number 10, but just someone who picks and chooses moments when he wants to go out wide or go in the right half space. And then at times just roam into midfield if he wants to. I don't think he's a pure central midfielder like the way Southgate played him next to Declan Rice. I don't think he's like a natural regista who's going to get 70 to 80 passes. But what I do think is, in terms of his ability to open up games with his passing, I think he's definitely one of the best passers in the world. So I think whatever role you find for him in midfield, it's got to be kind of a free role, which the emphasis is on his creative passing, because I definitely think he can generate like up to... 15 to 20 plus assists a season if he was given that sort of free role and score probably around 10 goals a season as well, I think. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Where does Trent actually fit into the long-term future? I think Liverpool today didn't actually give him many conditions to influence the game from the centre. I think even when he was inverted, 
they either played down the flank or just went very direct straight away. And I think it goes back to missing that six. They need that six to absorb all that first phase pressure, play out the first phase, and then Trent can then influence the game from there. Because Trent, you don't want Trent doing that. You want your six doing that. And then Trent finding the pockets, as you mentioned, to hurt people. So I think that that's what it goes back to. I think Liverpool need to sort their recruitment out in terms of that number six. And then you will see Trent flourish more than he is at the moment. But obviously still, that's how good he is. He's still able to influence the game today from the final third. He's just before I finish on Trent. He's he's a strange player in that he's not going to be a volume player in terms of touches. You don't want him to be a volume midfield player. But the thirty touches that he'll get will be of such high quality they can almost define like the biggest games of the world. He's like that type of player. So you kind of have to let him ghost around and let him kind of do what he wants. And but at the same time, a lot of managers don't want to give that level of freedom mm. to a player. So it's like, can you? Are you gonna really merit that freedom and deliver on that freedom? That's the that's the big question. I'm, I'm try, I'm, that's kind of why I think. Sorry, go I'm, try, I'm trying to think of a midfield player who played next to a main six, and was given high influence in progressing and creating. It, it's actually a difficult one to think of. He's a very kind of unique player, Trent, and I can't really put a comparison. I don't know if Pythagoras has got one from his depth of. Uh, Knowledge. The, the only one I can think of actually is uh, Pogba with France, not in terms of mm. like profile for yeah, profile, yeah. but I mean in terms of like go and do whatever you want, and we'll look after things for you. And if you don't fancy doing things, then fine, we'll also look after it for you. But it's like, like what is <laughs> the result of that is actually he only works next to two specific midfielders and a mm-hmm. specific centre back, and I don't think those combinations are that easy to create. Which is why I think in a lot of ways he's ended up just being at right back. And they've gone, play right back, we'll accommodate you with a a, a right centre mid who'll cover for you, which was Henderson for a while. Then his legs went, now Sabosli's coming and gone, mate, you've got legs, you can cover for him as well. Matip, you can cover for him. Kanata, you can cover, because he's technically so good. And like in today's game, he decided the game, essentially, with that moment for Liverpool. Because Liverpool weren't going to break City down. I, di- I didn't feel it was going to happen. And then he comes up and does something like that. Um, also, in terms of that like 1v1 battle, we did touch on this before. I also just think like, in reality, Doku versus Trent, Doku is going to dribble past Trent. Like that is Do- that is what Doku does, and he is very, very good at it. He also dribbled past Matip, I think, three times. Dribbled past McAllister four times. Dribbled past Saboshlai three times, and so he's going to dribble past people. Trent's job today, I think, was just to try and stop him dribbling past him in dangerous areas as often as possible. And then on top of that, City were wasteful as well, uh, which is probably actually why we haven't touched on City that much. Um, I think we all like collectively agree. City could have won that game if they just had more quality on the day and they just lacked that refinement that they've had for since forever. And De Bruyne probably embodies that refinement in their team. And I think this season, me and Raj, we've spoken about this on the inside. I think we spoke about it as well, uh, Pythagoras, that like City this season just haven't been right, but they're still just so much better than everyone else, essentially, that even without being right, they can turn up and blow anyone away. Yeah, I think... Sorry, I was just going to say that we have to bear in mind that They've been out. They've been without Stones. They've been without De Bruyne for large periods of the game. And if we're gonna say who's their sort of intergenerational level players or their generational players, like though, like De Bruyne is probably like an intergenerational player, and Stones is probably one of the best ball playing midfielders slash defenders of his generation. So you know that's huge levels of player to miss. And like, if we said that about any other mm. club, it'd be, you know, they'd be struggling massively with that. Let's just say if Liverpool were without Mo Salah from 
pretty much the start of the season to now. That'd be a huge drop off. So we have to give City some credit for being in and around first or second without like a De Bruyne, without John Stones. So even just influ- uh, those players coming back will definitely uplift that team. And we always see Pep come up with some tactical tweak or another to give his team that next level of unpredictability. I think if we look ahead to the title race, I think, as you just mentioned, Arsenal are not looking impressive. I do think it hinges on individual. I think it hinges on if Kevin De Bruyne can get back fit and not suffer any setbacks. I think Liverpool's only chance is if Thiago Alcantara comes back in. Because this guy is basically a build-up plaster. He can literally glue together all the issues that Liverpool have and he can be that first-phase build-up solution. But we know how unreliable he is. Rumour is he's not even going to be fit till January. So, uh, yeah, I think it, those two factors are going to be huge for the rest of the title race. Um, this uh, Insight episode has been longer than usual, but it was a big game. Lots of things happened. Uh, any closing thoughts? Pythagoras, I'll start with you. I think City, disappointed with that 1-1, but I think there's a lot more to come from City for the second half of the season. So, if I was Pep, I wouldn't be too worried. Um, if I was Klopp, I'd be proud of what his team's doing because I think there's a lot of holes still with that team. Um, I think they're doing well to compete. I think the worrying thing for Liverpool fans is what I'd say is the next two to three years. I think this season there'll be a good hard effort to get into top four and I reckon they will. But there's definitely like a rebuilding job, a massive rebuilding job to still take place if they want to get that project to where it was. Raj, anything to add? Yeah, I think one guy I'd just like to mention, I did mention briefly earlier, I think Ryan Gravenberch. I was a bit umming and ahhing about this signing for Liverpool. I don't think he was priority. I think, as we've mentioned several times, a six was more a priority than Gravenberch. But I was, I've was, i been very impressed recently with how he's kind of manipulating the ball under pressure and then exploding away into situations to just really take out several men from the game. And I think his ball carrying was the main method which Liverpool were generating transition in the second half. Um, and without that, I don't think they get the equaliser. So I think kudos to him for his substitute impact. Um, and regarding the Liverpool recruitment, just a little nugget of information. I think what I've heard is Julian Ward, the previous sporting director, is now working as a kind of consultant on the side for Liverpool. And his role is to target South American talent. And there was a, a recent link to Lucas Baralda, I think a left-sided centre-back from Fluminense, a uh, very good ball-playing centre-back. He's been kind of likened to Levi Colwell. So I think that would be very useful for the left side of defence. And then the other one they're looking at is Gabriel Moscardo. Um, he's been kind of labelled as a Declan Rice kind of, kind of six. Um, so that is one to keep an eye on. I think Liverpool do need to look at that kind of market because I don't think they can... The Declan Rices aren't really... And sixes aren't really apparent in Europe right now. So they may need to look further afield someone like a Moscato from Brazil. All right. Fascinating insight, as usual. No pun intended. Um, Pun definitely intended. I knew I was going to say that before you finished speaking. Um, If you enjoyed this episode of The Insight, uh, make sure you drop it a like, five-star rating. Uh, Obviously, longer than usual. And we've been getting a lot of feedback on Spotify. So if there's anything you want us to talk about in future episodes, we're now going to start mentioning the questions you're asking at the top of episodes. Obviously, if you ask us things that are relevant to City Liverpool, we're probably not going to speak about it next week because the week's gone by and you probably don't even want the answer either. So if you have questions that are a wider scope, maybe you want to ask about Gundogan's role in City's title charge, we can discuss that at the start of the next episode. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. Pythagoras Raj, thank you for hopping on. And for the rest of you guys, enjoy your evening, morning, afternoon, whatever you're doing. And we'll see you next time. 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.